I mean, I'm guessing that the superpower is not related to the testicles in the game. Remember, so. remember that testicles is okay, but this is the edge of what we can say. Hello and welcome to the last standee, a board game podcast coming to you from five exciting countries across Europe. Today I'm joined here by Alexis. Hi, it's me. Alessio. Hi, everybody. Audrey. Hello, everyone. Escape from the hospital is David. Hey, hey. <laughs> and as always, I'm your host, Fen. We're going to be talking about a range of different topics from across the hobby. And today we'll start with the standee catch-up, as usual. So, uh, how's everyone been doing? As I, I suppose we start with David as I kind of loaded that. So, David, um, do tell us, how are you doing? Yeah, I had a small surgery to get rid of some issues with my scar. Hopefully it gets better after after this, so this mess is all will be over soon. <laughs> yep, we certainly hope so. I mean, you can get back to painting when that's all sorted. Yeah, sure. I miss that. Yeah. Well, you're still handling an airbrush better than I can. Uh, I think so. <laughs> anyone can. Anyone can. I... <laughs> My, my infinity double action whatever doodad airbrush is sitting there sadly and it has been since before Christmas because I don't know what I'm doing. I um, I begged um, Big Dino Trent Dennison to come over to Sweden when COVID's over and teach me how to clean an airbrush because it's just not sticking. So <laughs> we're gonna we, we gotta we'll put him cool. up we'll put him up for board um, <laughs> and everything. He wants to come to Scandinavia anyway, so and maybe I can steal a, a bust off him. We'll see. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, that's great. Uh, Alexis, how are you doing? I've been doing pretty good. Uh, today, my mind is mostly going to Monster Hunter Rise, so I've been really excited about the <laughs> recent few trailer, um, and it's coming all, out later this month. So that's uh, that's where my mind is at at the moment. Um, otherwise, I've been playing. Um, uh, Escape the Dark Sector with a friend. Uh, last week we talked. Uh, well. Two weeks ago, we talked about um, Escape the Dark Castle, and I've tried the, the Cypher version, and I can say that it's uh, better than the, the base game, um, since it has a, a sort of escalation type uh, mechanic. Um, I would recommend that one if anybody was interested by the game last week and wanted to uh, try it in a more sci-fi way. Uh, Escape the Dark Sector, really good. Yeah, for um, me, it's uh, sold out, so I can't do much about that. But uh, speaking of Monster Hunter, are you feeling particularly excited about um, Steamwork Games' uh, Kickstarter upcoming on Monster Hunter? Um, I'm I'm cautiously following it. Um, I've not really been uh, really into anything that uh, Steamwork Games has done before. Yeah, um, old Steamforged. Um, they did uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Which, yeah. uh, if you remember, that was in uh, was that our first episode uh, or second? Maybe I think our second one. Second one, yeah. Um, and I hold a counter opinion. Generally, the audience reception is a bit lukewarm on it. Um, I went into it as a solo player and a cooperative player, and just threw out the the rules of semi cooperative, which don't work, and went actually. There's a load of great mechanics yeah. in here. Um, For- from what it seemed like the mechanics part uh, of it was really good and then it it was mostly like the the content that needed a, a bit of work from what i understood yeah the content is not quite there yet but it's due yeah. to arrive this summer 
and uh, I think I'll touch back to it when when I do. Uh, there was also the Dark Souls board game that got a bit of a mixed reception in that apparently the dungeon crawl section was eh, but the boss combat was quite good. Yeah, that, that's my experience with it. Yeah, it was revised anyway, because the first edition, I think that a lot of people protested against general quality, if I remember correctly. I think so. I remember there being some issues. My my brother um, backed it and was a bit disappointed. I remember a f- seeing a few floppy hammers. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's one of the cases in which the community helped a lot uh, Steamforged games because the the new edition I think was revised with a lot of community suggestions and it was pretty good in the end. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, um, congratulations to Steamforged Games for being open to community input and revising based on it and um, salvaging something. You know, that could they could have just walked on and gone well, whatever. We finish that next next Kickstarter. It, it very much seems like every one of their games is better than the previous one. Um, so regardless of how good those games are, uh, at least it shows that they are growing and learning from the mistake. Um, so yeah, I, I'm keeping an eye on the Monster Hunter game. Uh, it might be very fun. I think that it's a game that would very much benefit from being, um, you know, walking onto the, the cabbage formula type, uh, type thing. Uh, Absolutely. Because you know that that's what inspired uh, Kingdom Death. So yeah, that's right. There's a a lot of monster hunter in Kingdom Death, and one would hope that they they cycle it back around and take the best parts of Kingdom Death, especially the monster behavior, um, and feed that back in. We'll see though. I mean, the trailer landed recently for the board game, and they're going to be putting the Kickstarter on April twentieth. So we'll see. It might be, you know, I'm I'm hopeful, but it's not. I'm not just going to run and blindly back it. Um, yeah, same. I I'll yeah. just keep an eye on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On, speaking of uh, things coming out soon, uh, I can mention that uh, in the coming weeks I might have my first uh, little Morgbok module that might be uh, coming out. So that's fun. Uh, Semi officially. Oh, that's yeah. That's cool. That is cool. Um. And uh, you, Alessio, how have you been doing uh, recently? He's fallen down a deep hole. Oh, no. Deep thought. Ah. Oh, there he goes. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, uh, Alessio, there you are. Welcome back. Ah, Yeah, Uh, sorry. That question was really taxing, I take it. Do you want to ask again? Uh, I think that's a good answer to how are you doing. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, well, um, so... How am I doing? Uh, fine enough, thank you. And uh, these two weeks happened quite a lot, actually. Uh, first, I received the, the Wave 3.1 of Kingdom Death, and I got taxed with import fees for that. That was uh, 32 euros for the tripping up set. And uh, a week later, my, my co-worker and friend got it... Uh, all the same package and got taxed with import fees for 16 euros. So that's a way to begin the week peace. After that, today I just received the Whale Riders pledge from uh, the Grail Games company and uh, it's a new Knizia game. So uh, with all that it entails, I just looked at the box for the moment, but uh, I hope uh, I could review it or at least comment on it uh, or about it uh, soon enough. That sounds fun. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does um, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and Audrey? Yeah, uh, I've been doing okay. A bit of gaming here and there, and we will talk about it soon. Uh, I got a few packages a few packages as well on my side. I got the Wave 3.1 uh, of Kingdom Deaths as well, so that was pin-up of Death 2 to 5 for me. As I didn't back the Kickstarter, I had no access to Satan, and a friend is getting them, and he's waiting on his package. Uh, so I'm neck deep in Plastic Dust right now. Um, I have, I think, seven left to build. <laughs> I didn't lose time. And uh, tomorrow is going to be my boyfriend's birthday. So I got him a few D&D gifts, uh, because we are... Uh, I would not say big, but we are D&D players and DMs, uh, both of us. And I got him the uh, DM screen because it was completely out of stock in France. And apparently I spotted a miracle restock. And I think he's going to be thrilled with it because we have a screen already, but in English. And he isn't as good in English as I am, so the French version is really going to help him. I'm sorry, sorry. I, I have to nip to the door a moment. Um, my folks have just arrived and the dog is... She's uh, exploding with happiness. So um, you guys carry on and I'll be back in a few minutes. See you in a minute. <laughs> okay, so it's episode 10. 10? So, yeah. That's a great number. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, uh, we came a long way. Yeah, that, that's a big milestone. We should be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, and we have basically a format for this podcast, so I'm quite happy for this. Um, I think we can uh, gloss over the news, or we can just uh, report a bit of the bits from the world, because... Um, yeah. Yeah? Now, be- before we, we move on to the news, I think one thing that uh, would be interesting to say is that in the in the recent weeks, what we've been doing, uh, Audrey and I, and one of our uh, friend in Patreon, Remy, is playing uh, a bit of King's Dilemma with uh, Audrey's boyfriend too. Oh, yep. yeah. Yeah, and we I'll... did th- three sessions, two sessions? Uh, two sessions and uh, I think the first uh, three uh, kings. Yes, three uh, kings, yeah. yeah. A, a three-player three game then? Four. A four-player game. That's my boyfriend. Four-player game. Okay. Yes. How did you find it? It's uh, very fun. I don't understand anything I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I understand what I'm doing, but I'm doing it more for the lore, the roleplay, and the story than for the objective. So I have lots of crave. I have no idea how it ended up that way. Uh, it could help you. No, I, I don't really pay enough attention to the resource tracker, I think. Oh, okay. In the meantime, I finished the campaign, and I have to say, uh, I actually have to confirm that... This is the best ending for a Legacy game I ever played so far, Damn, including all, all, all the key, all the Pandemic Legacy series. Everything. It, uh, this is the best ending there is. It's tense. It feels uh, compelling. It uh, uh, doesn't leave basically anybody out. I I basically lost all the all my games and in the end I was in so close to winning of oh. course I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> no but that's, that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um that's quite a praise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to to get uh to get to the ending and to see how, how everything works. On my end uh 
pretty much the same uh, way that Audrey has been uh, going around. I think it's very fun to engage in the in the roleplay aspect and to try and think uh, about how the game works. But I think that like the the specific objective for the different game um, don't always seem to be that interesting to follow, and I usually prefer to just look into my um my own yeah. factions uh, long-term objectives and winning like specific games always feel a bit counterintuitive to the rest of the game i understand why it's there just um it seems to be a bit getting in the way um, yeah basically that that's what i did in my gameplay i <laughs> th that's the way to lose <laughs> yeah uh but yeah king's dilemma very fun um how yeah anything that you wanted to add fan no, uh, we were just going to talk briefly about um, Cora Quest has been funded, which is yes. fantastic. And um, I'm I'm certainly a backer at the price it's at, and they've got a publisher now, and um, I think it's a publisher. One of the guys running the publishing company is was involved with the game from the beginning, so uh, they've uh, it's all nice bit of continuity, and I'm very confident it's in good hands. Um, there's no sign of whether they'll be doing localization, though. Obviously, it's a UK game, um, UK creators. They're not sure if they can afford to uh, localize the game because of it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I backed it as well. Yeah, I do for the kids. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The look of the game and uh, the ID behind it and everything just makes this game look. Uh like a really good deal especially if you have kids yes um, you call it a labor of love <laughs> and uh speaking uh, of kickstarters i think audrey wanted to say something yeah i i just wanted to have a very quick mention i think it it it, uh, it would deserve a special episode about uh representation in games but i've been following from a bit from far what tiny epic dungeons uh how it's happening what gaming games uh, are doing and uh i think it's a good example of a company seeing feedback from the community about representation about postures about sexualization of the uh characters and changing things ad ad adapting they're not making a drastic changes but a few changes here and there and making things much more family friendly i would say yeah that, that's a good case of disaster averted uh, actually, I think that the, the 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 matter of the of the representation in that game was uh, was raised by Elizabeth Hargrave, uh, non exactly. nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Gamelin Games also asked people to leave her alone because some people, of course, started harassing her. But they are defending her, which is, I think, really great. People in this industry have yeah, to be friendly important. towards each other and respect each other. Yeah, more than yeah, anything, that's true. the most important thing that they've uh, stepped up and done is saying, uh, "No, this this critique is fine. We want to hear this, and you you don't, you know, you, in fact, fans and backers they're not involved in this conversation, in my opinion. It's not their place, you know. Elizabeth Hargrave was what she said was absolutely right. Yeah, actually, congratulations to her for winning this battle. I think congratulations for just stepping up and being a female designer who has put herself out there uh, because it paves the way for others to also be able to, to have these conversations. It's important. Um, yeah. 
very important to, to not feel intimidated at the first point, which is a still a lot of intimidation for um, for women, um, for also for people of, um, uh, you know, uh, non-white people as well. There's still a level of intimidation, whether it's intentional or not, because this is a very white male dominated thing, industry still. Um, we're all working towards changing that and it'd be wonderful because diversity brings interesting and new and exciting board games but uh that's what i think was great is that she's she's a known person she's got authority she did it very well and she she stepped up as an example yeah yeah definitely a a very good um to circle back a little bit on the um uh, on Cora Quest and uh, their new publishing deal with uh, Brighthead uh, Games, even though they announced it after the campaign was uh, ended, uh, I think that they did it in a really respectful way. Like it's only going to affect the retail version. Uh, the Kickstarter version is still going to be uh, prepared by the um, by the, the the team of um, uh, what's his name Dan something. Uh, Dan. Can't uh, Dan. They, yeah, they, they've handled it very well. And it's always important when you're dealing with a Kickstarter, uh, when they are adding a publishing deal to the mix, uh, to be careful about that, because that's kind of the point of a Kickstarter is to, to have that first impulse and to sort of bypass the publisher's uh, will. Definitely. And in, in some games, it can get really ugly. And I think that we're going to talk about here uh, a good game that had a really good um, package, but unfortunately, because of um, a publishing deal that was added at the very end of the Kickstarter and that the backers were extremely um, angry about, uh, kind of turned the game uh, very sore. Um, Right, Fan? Yeah, you're right. So let me picture this. Let me paint a picture for you. You and your adventuring friends, you've traveled off on a journey you've delved deep down far below the ground and you've fought and battled your way through countless foes and enemies in search of treasure and then suddenly things have gone horribly wrong you wake up in the darkness alone completely like weaponless (laughs) uh, badly injured and the last surviving member of your party from there no from there you you have only one choice you need to gather your wits use whatever you have around you and fight your way tooth and nail back up out to freedom this game is unbroken it's a solo game uh from our team savarov now we're gonna i'm gonna talk a little bit about the game and then we're going to talk about some of our experiences with getting our hands on the game because we have three different um experiences with how how we got it so at its heart unbroken is a resource management game you have trackers that give you access to resources the primary of which are effort and time and the game has two sections to it and it loops around four times the first part's like an exploration phase where you spend mostly time to draw cards or perform other actions such as scouting ahead to see what kind of monster you're facing or um or or orienteering to get a bit of a better um idea of where you are and then drawing uh, exploration cards and making a decision on which one you want to resolve these cards 
tend to just have you spending resources to get other resources, effectively turning your time and your effort into other things. Uh, for example, you could be gaining cunning, which is a stat used for um, like roguish type activities. The knife will use that for additional damage or gaining metal to construct be better weapons or wood for different kinds of weapons. Food, which you absolutely need enough food, otherwise you're going to starve. Or treasure, which is most of the time worth nothing except points at the end. Woo. Um, you know, survival first, treasure later. But the part of this I like the most is your primary stat, your primary resource is effort. And effort, you have to spend it to do everything, but it's also your life force, it's your hit points. If you run out of it, you're dead. So everything you do to spend effort shortens your survival so you're constantly waiting between can i afford to spend these hit points on this stuff or should i not do that i don't know how much extra i'm going to get on top of that effort is upgradable it can turn into uh what's it called um it can turn into medium effort and large effort through uh through very by focusing and inspiration but the thing about these is they're worth more when you spend them except if you spend them as wounds then they're just worth just as much as any other wound so it really sucks to lose a medium effort as a wound because actually that could have been four four points and the other half to time is interesting in that you have to spend it when you draw cards uh, you have a certain amount to start with um, it's 12 uh, could be was it seven eight twelve so on that is like a set amount for the level that you're on and you draw draw two cards or more cards if you spend a bit of time preparing and you got you're going to lose time but if you get down to near the bottom and you pick a card that's going to reduce you to zero time the monster's going to ambush you and take a real swipe at you and get a like get a big advantage probably some monsters don't ambush and that's a great gambling mechanic where you're constantly looking at these decisions and, and even drawing the cards is oh should I shouldn't I do I have enough time left am I going to get ambushed do I know what the monster is and it's this this loop that's quite interesting of preparation when you get into the combat and there's four levels so four different monsters and each level has one of six different monsters uh, it's a little bit more straightforward in that the monsters kind of randomly roll on a table to see what they're going to do each round and you get to pick how you're going to injure them you don't have to really worry too much about randomness at your end uh, you kill one you're going to get some rewards hopefully some food you're gonna to have to feed yourself uh, you're going to get a bit more time unless the monster wasted a ton of your time and then you go back around again get that through that four times with increasing difficulty and you survive and you win the whole game done 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes very simple to manage very easy to follow and clear clear decisions to make without it being too easy it also has a whole bunch of achievements and a score track if you want to see how you're improving and getting better uh, i think this is a a very well done solo game it's not the best i've ever played that still remains coffee roaster but it's it's up there as a really good enjoyable game yeah, actually the mechanic of uh, resource management is pretty common in this kind of game. Uh, I, I 
watched the, the a first review of Unbroken, I think, in 2018, uh, when a reviewer got uh, an early copy of the game. I, I think that uh, I got interested in immediately, and we will talk about this later, but uh, basically um, I have to say that this game uh, is... Uh, uh, resource management came exactly like Set a Watch, which is another solo but possibly multiplayer game, which is based on a card mechanism, which is uh, managing your exhaustion. So it's not effort and time, but you just go against, instead of dungeon levels, you go against uh, uh, waves of monsters until you spot the final boss and you have a fight with the final boss. And uh, in the meantime, you exhaust all your possible actions, you try to recover them, and uh, basically it plays the same, because you have to manage your resources to get in good enough shape to beat the final boss, which is basically the same mechanic. I have to say, Unbroken is possibly a lot better uh then set a watch because it's a bit more interesting the choices are a bit more compelling you have more options you can move in multiple ways you can avoid encounters you don't want to have so it's actually a, a, a very decently polished game it's a very good game it's well made and well thought yeah i mean that's that's the thing like through my a relatively quick summary. I didn't even get to touch on the fact that you can trick some of the monsters, except for the final ones, to bypass yeah, exactly. the whole fight. <laughs> the fact that you can suffer conditions that debilitate you, um, or and you gain skills that you can make use of to get better and stronger. It's um, it. There's an awful lot and a lot of decisions packed into a very short time space, um, and it tells a great story and has a lot of uh, emergent story rather than like actual narrative story and it has a lot of replayability factor with 24 different monsters six six at each different level and four levels so it's uh, uh it's, yeah. it's good um additionally like when it comes to component wise um i i think it's very well done the um I, the cards could be a little thicker they're doing a little bit of pringle you know where they start to bend so they could have done maybe mm-hmm. with an extra ply um and but they are the the graphic design is very clean clear and good i found the um the references they have for flow charting your way through the whole game to be fantastic very easy and clear to follow um i would say the only thing i'm a a bit kind of about is they gave you a load of extra blank cards and i don't know about you guys but i never use these like I'm, I'm going to write on these with my terrible, crabby doctor handwriting. <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to follow what's going on. Um, I, I like the idea of giving people access to make their own cards, custom cards. But really, it's best to just put the template somewhere and provide a print-on-demand service of some kind for people to do it that way. Uh, you get a bit of re- reoccurring, continuous income, maybe, then. Um and perhaps if someone does something really good, you could approach them and authorize it as a semi-official fan expansion, sell it on the site, give them a designer's cut, who knows. But uh, basically, I'm looking at these like, well, I'm going to use these if I ever lose any of the cards from the box. Um, that's kind of it, really. And the score pad's like, it's nice enough, but 
just I, I just don't use score pads for games like this. I, I never use score pads. I, I, I made my own. Uh, f- to, to talk about Coffee Roaster, I think I never touched a sheet of the score pad because I just write my score. Mm. Yeah, I got um I got the Roll and Write Copenhagen game um just recently, and I'm already thinking maybe I should like get a laminator and just laminate a set of sheets. <laughs> so because I, I, that game's gone once you've finished writing on all of the pad, and and all right, I have to go buy another copy. You could always do that, but it feels a bit wasteful, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, like, maybe I just laminate a set for each player and don't have to worry 10, 20, 30 years down the line about having a box that, oh, we've got one play left. Yeah, I just can't force myself to, to, to just consume a resource like that. I think the seven Citadel, but uh, we are uh, hijacking this thread, so I, I won't talk about this, but I think the seven Citadel has uh, a similar issue with uh, representation of the city. Uh, when you unlock facilities but anyway yeah that, that's always bad when you have to consume resources like that yes it is but uh, yeah to get back on track and just to put a little bow on this uh honestly if i was just going to give this game a score out of 10 i think i'd be giving it an 8 out of 10 i, I think it's especially the speed in which it plays and setup and breakdown and how tidy the box is everything fits in there nicely without ever feeling squeezed and the box is very small and a good good quality box very solid feels nice um that uh that yeah that would be for me would be like this is an eight out of ten game but that's not what it has online score wise <laughs> yeah just just my impression because i i haven't played it myself but like the impression i had from like uh, let's play videos and everything um it really does this push your lot mechanic quite well like you can just exhaust exhaust your time completely but then you, there might something might bad might happen and that's very interesting mechanic yeah yeah it, it does it does uh very well in in making you like have those tight difficult decisions um with a with a bit of variance you need variance in a game like this because otherwise you're just going to solve it um but uh it doesn't overdo it like the randomness is there in how the monster attacks you the randomness is there in um what cards you're going to draw but you do have control over that um and that's kind of it sure the monster you're going to face is random but you can find that information out in advance and adapt to it but it will cost you a bit of your your resources or you can just be like i tend to be on the first monster and just be like whatever i, I i'm just gonna i'm gonna save that health I'm gonna have it as an extra buffer. In we go. Which is, uh... It almost feels bad to come in after such praise because it is indeed a very fun game. But I was one of the backers. Yeah. And... We, we, <laughs> yeah, we, I, I, we I used to be. <laughs> I, was sta- I was starting to get towards that. It's, yeah. I think it's an eight out of ten game, but it's a five point nine on Board Game Geek, and yeah. Um, that was part I, I of what w- drew me to it. So we shall start with your experiences, Alexis, as you were one of the original backers. Am I correct? Yeah. Um, it is a 5.9, and all that I can see is that it's a 5.9 only because it's a really good solo game. If it had been a mediocre one, it would have been a zero <laughs> for a lot of people. So the thing is that when they started the campaign, uh, they got half a million uh, Canadian dollars. Um, and 
the way that they opened their campaign was that they were going to be uh, open about everything that's happening, that um, the the file and the game and everything was ready to go, that within a month of finishing the campaign, they would send everything to the printer and print it because all that they needed was the, the cost of production, basically. And they uh, put forward a money-back guarantee uh, note that if, you, if you're not happy with the game, you can just send it back because they are that confident about the game. Um... <laughs> the problem was that spoiler at the, yeah at the very day uh, at the very last uh, day of the campaign they added um golden bell production i think golden bell studios golden bell, studios. Golden bell games with yeah which is part of golden fenn bell is, studios yeah fenn is going to get into uh, a little bit more details about them in a minute but suffice to know they have a Terrible uh, reputation. The, by the time uh, they worked on Uncharted, there had already been three projects that they uh, tanked. Um, and every time it was kind of the same pattern where they would help a game, they would help publish a game, they would delay the publishing, they would um, charge more for the, ch the shipping, and they would use some of the uh, Kickstarter money to produce... Um, props and like uh, plushies or like posters and stuff like that that nobody asked and weren't part of the production to like sell as additional uh, component and to try to um, uh, push people to spend more. And the problem is that it was already a pattern and when uh, Artem, the unbroken uh, person, uh, announced the game, Everybody told uh, told him to to drop them and to not work with them. Artem went forward, and um, the game was delayed for a year because they were working on some uh, additional uh, publishing stuff. So uh, it was supposed to be ready to go to the printer, but was delayed a year, which people didn't really like. And then it. Uh, a year later, they started sending the game to people, but requesting um, 15 more uh, dollars to for the shipping cost. But people had already paid shipping cost, uh, 10 dollars already for each game, and it's a 30 30 dollar game, which means that um, you know you you would pay basically double to the price of the game. Uh, in total, if you if you paid the the full ch shipping, you and so would it's pay been... another copy of the game just to get it shipped to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, and so it's is that how much you they asked you? For? Yeah, um, I I paid uh, I think in total. Let me check. I paid uh, uh, thirty eight dollars uh, to get the game because I I bought the European edition. Um, and uh, they've asked me fifteen dollar, fifteen additional dollar to get the to get the game uh, shipped to to me uh, finally. And so it's been three years that I've still not had the game, um, that game that was supposed to be ready to go and money back guarantee. Uh, they refused to uh, issue any refund. Uh, the Golden Bell Studio people have been extremely. Um, angry at their backers, insulting them, uh, doxing them in some cases. It's, yeah, it's that, that was 
that was the saddest part looking at the kickstarter comments uh, yeah. after the ma- um, after the months yeah that there was um there, there was indeed some shots fired on both sides but it is worth always saying uh, golden bell is meant to be the ones who are able to behave professionally in this sort of situation yeah um, and it, and at times it, they didn't yeah i i would also like to point out that the exact um point of a publisher the reason when you take a publisher is that if there's a delay with the getting the money to ship something well you can use the publisher to you know uh be the insurance for that basically to uh uh handle that properly but the, the fact that they were adding plushies to people's package and so spending money to produce those uh, those soft toys instead of using that money for shipping. Uh, and they also like uh, sold some of the Kickstarter units to shops uh, already. Like they they uh, were very happy to send those to Amazon and to different shops all over the world to try to get more uh, money to fulfill the backers, which is okay, but they handled it extremely poorly. Um, and yeah, I, I still haven't the game. Uh, while I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good one, I have no idea if I'll ever receive it, which isn't um, really great. And the problem is that uh, people can buy it in the shop, can go you know, anywhere and, and, and buy it and play it, and I can't. And that's kind of uh, annoying. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. Uh, and that and... brings me to my experience. Yep, that's where I was going to go. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, like I said, I I saw the game mentioned on BGG on the new reviews page, which I recommend because it's uh, a good place to spot new games and new stuff and new comments about uh, think, things you think you know. And uh, I saw a review on a pre-production copy of Unbroken, it was uh, really cool. Uh, uh, it, the time I think it was 2017, so or 2018. It was a lot of time ago. So uh, I actually uh, there, there was no competition set to watch, which by the way is an excellent game. wasn't already uh, wasn't uh, in sight. It would be uh, I think half a year later. So it, it was uh, a good game with. Uh, poor competition and it was very interesting so i went checking the kickstarter page and i saw the involvement of golden bell studios i have to say and this is mean uh, for me to say but uh, i was a bit wary of this because i knew of the tanked projects before so uh, what i did was just to pledge uh, for backer kit access got the five dollars print and play and uh, i basically had uh, the game i think immediately i i was checking before recording uh, the my, my backer kit page to see on my account where it is and uh, i think i got it delivered on 2018 in, in march and actually i got the the print and play of the game two updates with updated rules. I hope they made it to the final version of the game and they uh, 
and they were included already in the physical version because otherwise it's a bummer for for people who paid for the entire game and then i got translation and print and play version or in basically every language at least the classical euro 5 there's german there's italian there's french there's spanish and there's english so actually i got an excellent game uh, immediately I just had to print it, laminate it a bit, and it was ready to go because I think it uses three token stops, except dice, of course. So uh, I actually had a pretty good experience, and uh, uh, as harsh as it might seem, I, I think I won in this little contest of who got the, the best edition of the game because that, that spared a lot of drama later. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, I was perusing my local stockists board games and noticed they had uh, unbroken up at 25% off. And uh, I, I jumped on the, the website's very nice and they just provide a direct link to Board Game Geek. So I was like, okay, well, it's on deal. I'll take a quick look. It's a solo game. Saw the reviews, um, the ratings even. And I was like, okay, 5.9 don't know probably not interested um but then clicked into the reviews saw radu's review and saw a whole bunch of positive reviews about the game and i thought okay well if you see positive reviews and you see a bad rating generally this indicates something's gone wrong and there's been some review bombing going on rating bombing and sure enough i got into the comments sorted by the lowest and lo and behold quite quite bad um a lot of people talking about the kickstarter and i was like okay well I mean, that sucks, but uh, I can get this at a discount. It's a solo game, and from what I've seen, it certainly seems like one I'd enjoy playing. Um, and I thought it would be an interesting topic to talk about on the podcast. So I picked it up, played it. Best of all, uh, it turns out I, I'm one of those people who got one of those um, Kickstarter copies that was sent out. I got a little bag in there, I got a poster, I got a box that said, thanks for back believing in us and backing and everything, and I was like, okay, right. Uh... Oh, uh, I'll interrupt you for just mm. one quick second, but uh, that, that box that was shipped to everybody and uh, that people had to pay extra to, to get, um, their, the game's uh, tagline is uh, make them pay, which is yeah. very <laughs> yeah that that backfired a lot once thing unfolded yeah i, I can... this is cool <laughs> i i did after i started reading into everything that gone on i did look again at that box and go oof yeah that, yeah. that hasn't aged well no yeah like I imagine paying an extra like uh 15 to be one of the to be part of the first wave and then receiving the that box and being like oh <laughs> thank you <laughs> anyway uh back to your yeah so um you know I, I did my due diligence i did a fair amount of looking around the story's quite fragmented online um and a lot of it you've talked about a fair bit of it um from your experience and and so on uh, i will just say there's there's one thing that did happen um that was particularly uh problematic for people which is um Let's see if I can. I just want to make sure I read it correctly again. This is somebody else uh, told us. Yeah. So um, 
to the game was shipped to US backers using something called Media Mail. Now, media, oh, yeah. yes, Media Mail is a service that occurs in America where you can ship educational materials. Now, great games are absolutely like no. They're, they're not allowed. But um, it was said that they had an agreement with the post office that allowed shipping of this game. Uh, who knows? Maybe they spoke to someone. Maybe they don't. We'll never really they did know. Not. Uh, yeah. They went into court for that. <laughs> okay, they went to court for it. Fair enough then. Um, as I say, it's fragmented everywhere. So I've, I, all I could do is like, well, that happened. I oh, don't yeah. know the background of it. Um, yeah, and people were receiving this thing with a fine slapped on it for it being shipped incorrectly, which was like, oof. so they were not particularly happy about it all. Uh, and yeah, as you've talked about, a lot of troubles with it getting shipped to everyone else. Um, yeah, a game and a story. Yeah, it's a just just a really sad situation. Um, I want to say that um, there is a very nice interview uh, that our team gave on Board Game Atlas, and he does talk about this um, and and things that are going on. It looks like, just to summarising through it, um, our team is having going to have to work with Golden Bell for an expansion on this, but then yeah. hopefully he seems to be free to go off and do his own games in the future that, with a different one. Because I, I, the big thing I'd like to say is, yeah, our team did originally misquote the costs that were going to be involved and that kind of started some of the problems but on the whole he, he hasn't really been involved in a great deal of things that seem to have gone very badly wrong and I would hate for somebody who's come up with such a great game here and his previous game Cauldron's not bad either um, to get heavily tainted um, I, I would like I want to see what he's going to do next um, yeah, no, Artem is definitely a uh, uh, semi-victim of this situation. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Golden Bell, Bell did what they do best, which is uh, take advantage of a young designer and uh, promise them to be able to uh, fulfill a ton of, pro uh, of promise and to help them navigate the difficult, uh, you know, uh, walk of publishing game. And then they just fucked everything up. And because their own reputation is not, uh, you know, can't really be tanked worse than it was. Um, uh, I mean, they, they went to court for that. So I, I, I have the right to, to say it. Uh, they went on to um, uh, an episode of um, uh, Judge Judy because there was another young um, uh, game designer that produced a game about uh, making, I think it was it was making sushi or something like that, like a, a sort of um, a sushi game type uh, type stuff. They she had a, a, a bright idea. The game looked extremely fun. Golden Bell went in and they completely destroyed uh, the whole. Just to uh, clarify, um, yeah. it was uh, People's Court that they were on. People's Court. Okay, um, I, I thought it was... Uh, no. Yeah, J Judy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I know it was something that was recorded and then sent on TV, I've one of those... got the details um, here. Uh, the episode uh, was titled You Are a Card Shark and the case was refusing to fold. But... Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, sadly they uh, they they have a bit of a reputation about this. Yes. Yeah, and, and they got banned from Kickstarter, which is incredible because Kickstarter never does anything about scammers usually. I know that's insane. It's, it's yeah. huge to get that. We'll have to see if it sticks. There's plenty of ways they could try and get around it, but hopefully they don't do anything like that. Or if they do, um, Kickstarter deal with it. Um, I just just wanted to just continue to say like I really feel for. Our, our team who um he, i when i see him on the forum and he's always polite and courteous oh, and yeah. he's trying our, to give people help really... and yeah he, he says himself and i just wanted to read this before we move on is that um he says uh uh, they were, he was asked um, how this has affected him, and he said uh, it impacted me to a sig- significant extent, almost entirely negatively. He's not going to go into the detail of personal stories, but needless to say, there's been a lot of on- online controversies, a lot of time of attention that he's not dedicating to his wife, children, parents, friends, probably even you know future game designs. Um, uh, he's experienced a lot of like negativity. But also some some nice supportive messages from people online and social media and everything. Uh, and yeah. I don't know if he'll ever hear this, but frankly, I would just like to say, you know, get get on with your next game, and don't worry about uh, about all of this. It sucked, but um, for the most part, I hope that I hope that you keep going because Unbroken. Yeah, we really, is, is really hope that he'll he'll keep making games because the game that he made are are good uh, and the. the real problem here is just that uh, someone took advantage of that and that Golden Golden Studio just tanked his reputation and no people are going to feel very bad about that. Um, Yeah. Um, The world of Unbroken is dreadful and a pretty terrible place, uh, be it the Kickstarter or the uh, actual uh, fighting monsters. So I think that we should should turn ourselves to a more wonderful world. Um, Audrey. Yes. Today I'm going to talk about a game that I bought a month ago-ish. It's a wonderful world from La Boîte à Jeux. Yes, we're French. Uh, La Boîte à Jeux, they've run already two Kickstarters from It's a Wonderful World, one with the base game and uh, the first expansions, and the second one with the bigger expansion that allows uh, getting up from five to seven players. I managed to get a copy, uh, a Kickstarter copy, when they put the remainers for sale. It was, of course, a bit more expensive than uh, the Kickstarter prices, but it was still uh, a good price, honestly. I think I paid 115 euros for everything. So the, the principle of the game is a drafting and resource managing game to build buildings. Buildings or uh, neighborhoods in, in, a, in, a, in your empire. It is quite similar in the mechanics in, if we look at it from afar than uh, from Seven Wonders. It, it's often compared to it, but it has lots of um, small subtleties that make it really different. So the first phase is a drafting phase, like Seven Wonders. You get a card, you give your uh, pile of cards to the player to your left and etc. until cards are exhausted. There is a a different mechanic if you're playing two people where you have each 10 cards at the start, you exchange 
take a card, you exchange the decks, you take a card, you exchange the decks, etc. until three cards are left. So in any case, you end up with seven cards that you keep. Each of these cards, you will decide if you will build the card or if you will scrap it for resource. Everything is indicated on the cards, so either the, co the cost, the resource they will give to you at each turn, and how much resources they give you if you scrap them. And the idea is, by scrapping some cards, you will get the resources, which will help you build uh, some other cards, which will then provide resources the next turns, and you play in four different turns. The big difference with Seven Wonders is that resources are finite. There is a finite, a finite number of resources that you gain each turn and then you can spend it. Because in Seven Wonders, if you have a brick, let's say, you can use that brick to build three different things in the same turn, hypothetically, and it's okay because you have bricks. If you have an item that needs two bricks, then you have to have a second card with bricks or buy bricks to another player. Here, in It's a Wonderful World, each card will generate you a certain amount of cubes, of resource cubes, cubes of different colors, blue, yellow, green, uh, black, and gray, and you will spend the cubes. So really there is that amount of resources that is the... It's the how can I say that in English? It's the, it, That's what you have to manage. You have to manage this number of cubes and put it towards the right places. At the end of the game, after the four turns are done, you can count victory points, which are marked on a certain amount of cards. Some do give victory points, some don't, and some give victory points depending on some conditions. Some cards will give you one victory point per green card you built, for instance. So. All in all, the mechanics of the game are pretty simple. You can explain them quite fast, but then you have a depth in the choosing to scrap, choosing where to spend your resources that can really make things very different. And you can see that there is a solo mode. And in the solo mode, you have objectives to build certain cards. In that solo mode, you can then rate how many points you did, and I can see that uh, in the communities, and the people share the, the amount of points that they did in a solo play, the numbers can really vary greatly. So very, this is a game that you keep learning over time, and over time you play. And you always can improve and get better at this or that mechanics. And I think that's something that's really interesting. I think that the ceiling is higher than with Seven Wonders, actually. And then for just a few mentions of the expansions, there are, in fact, three different expansions. Uh, Peace and War, uh, Leisure and Decay, and uh, the last one, I don't remember the name, it's yellow and purple, and it's the seven-player expansion. And each expansion has some envelopes that you can open one after the other, and then give you a campaign with scenarios, and at the end of each scenario, you can get special cards depending on the outcome, etc. So it really helps for replayability because you might play one campaign with a, a group of people, another campaign with another group of people, and really have different experiences of gameplay. Yeah, actually, I uh, what I love of this game is that when you build, you actually build resources like in a pipeline. So you do first gray cubes 
and uh, that allows you to have a margin to produce gray cube which can be used immediately for the next step of production so as a software engineer i have to say it's uh, a very very fulfilling and satisfying game phase it's actually quite good it's very interesting that's what interested me in the mechanics of the game uh, uh, mostly and prominently so you really enjoy gray cubes uh, not exactly that, but <laughs> the, the construction of stuff. Anyway, yeah, grey is a nice color, so thank you for asking. <laughs> My boyfriend has been a bit frustrated with, because we played only two players for now. Because, and I think that's one of the disadvantages of a two-player mod, is that you always see the same two decks of cards coming back to you over and over again. So if in the deck of cards... In, in, if in both 10 uh, decks of cards you have 5 cards that no one's like, at the end you're just looking at them and meh, over and over again. While I think if you are more players you will see them come back to you less. At the end you will still have a last card and have to pick it. But I think that it, there might be a bit less frustration over seeing over and over the same cards. Yeah, actually, this is a downside of a lot of engine building games when you draft from a common pool and there's not a lot of randomization in that part so that you have control on resources. The upside is that you have control on all the outcomes. The downside is that there's a bit of lack of variety with fewer players' counts. We have to start uh, playing the Peace and War expansion. Uh, we've already looked at what the first scenario, uh, what's the output of the first scenario, and it gives cards to the players that will uh, stay active for the next scenarios and change. These are small changes, but I think that when you pile cards over each other at the end of each scenario, at the last scenario of the campaign can be very interesting. Yeah, actually, I, I have a couple of questions about this because it's uh, actually interesting. Uh, how's the campaign mod? The, uh, I've only lo looked at the Peace and War uh, first scenario, so I don't really uh, have much insight into how this play. Because I like to keep things a bit secret, and so I didn't want to look the other ones. Uh, yeah, at, the, at the very beginning, the idea is just you make a, a, a game like the other ones. It's very, it's really no change for the first scenario. Then at the end, you count the points. The player that has more points can become, I think, the world leader. <laughs> Depending on if a condition has been reached or not. I don't remember the, what the condition is. And the other players will be the basically followers of a world leader. And the world leader gets a card with a certain power and the followers get another card with uh, another power which is a bit less powerful. Yeah. And then if the condition hasn't been reached, again I don't remember that condition, the leading player can get a master spy um, card and the other ones get other spy cards and again the world leader the spy leader will have a more powerful card than the other i think that the uh, condition is something like building a card which is the world summit or something like that <laughs> yeah that, that's that's actually uh, very interesting uh, 
because th these kind of games uh, tend to suffer from runaway leaders like someone is getting advantage uh, in early games and advantage just keeps accumulating and uh, you end up uh, uh, always the other players are always pursuing the leader and uh, the leader just gets uh, farther and farther away uh, i think from what I saw, but uh, I actually want to hear from experience, so we will probably talk about this in next, uh, in later episodes because that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's a wonderful word actually suffers from this because I can't see it mentioned anywhere. Honestly, the these power cards are not really game breaking. I think it's something like it may give you two points on a scenario and one if you are not the leader. Uh, it's something like that. So when you can reach a number of points that is around 50 or more, that's not too much. Uh, yeah, that, that's always good news. I, I think that's uh, a game with the same mechanics in development, like it's a wonderful something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wanted to end with that. Uh, la boîte à jeu, uh, or is it la boîte de jeu? I can never remember. They are preparing another Kickstarter for next month, April, and it's going to be It's a Wonderful Kingdom. The basic mechanics will remain the same, but there is a big difference. It's a Wonderful Kingdom is really aimed only for one to two players. Oh, that's cool. Yes, and uh, apparently there are more um, interactions between uh, how you play. Uh, they published an update uh, recently about uh, sister sister cards or something like that. I'm just reopening it, and it's uh, in it's a modular game. So at each game you will be able to add modules in the boxes for your game. So each module will change an aspect of the game, a rule, a way to score points. So that will really make for good replayability, which is really enjoyable. And they talked about the Minace uh, module, which is which will give each player a pack of Minace that you will try to send to your adversary uh, via the core game mechanics. And the idea is to uh, make your adversary pick up the menace that you hide because it's a game a, a bit about bluffing and if a player picks a sister that will take off a resource by turn on each card on, on, on that is being built and if you don't um, vanquish them at the end of the game there will be negative points and if you gain around the four sisters in the game, there will be more points, etc., etc. So I think that's, uh, depending on the other modules that they show until then, that's going to be very interesting because I think that's the advantage where uh, these games, it's a wonderful world was, I think, 60 or, 60 or maybe 50 euros on Kickstarter for the core box. And that's great if you have a game at, at around that price point with replayability. And with these modules, I think that's what they're going to achieve. And I'm really curious to see it. I have plans to back It's a Wonderful Kingdom. Yeah, actually, uh, I, I'm when there's a launch page, I think I will get there because uh, it's interesting and I don't want to miss this out. 
Yeah, a great thing as well is that they, on the cards there are really almost no text, like there is written if it's a plant, if it's a, um, a windmill or etc. But that's not something that requires lots of traduction. So it's really only just the rule book that has to be translated, which is great. And they usually do the Kickstarter in French and in English, and then you can pick your language. And for me, it's great as well, because since they are French, they have partnerships with many French stores and you can pick in store delivery and have basically no shipping fee. But really, the French backers win a lot there. We win. <laughs> We're gonna move on to the next topic. Um, <laughs> As, speaking of um, uh, It's a Wonderful World, uh, our backers should know that uh, currently on our Patreon there's an unboxing by uh, Audrey uh, that you posted a few days ago. A few days, a few days ago. Wow, we are cheating. Uh, we we definitely are cheating, but hey, this is the future. I can do whatever I want. Time is relative. It's all a big circle. Or maybe a twisty exactly. Mobius loop, depending on which book you're I... reading. <laughs> Schrodinger's Stanley. <laughs> so, Fen, do you have a disaster story to share now? Well, yeah. Going on in the background of this podcast, and you, I don't know if it get left in or not, but there was an incident with some balking earlier. Um, our tap in the bathroom started, like, leaking, and so... Uh, we took a look at it and it was a bit too complicated to fix. A plumber's been round and sorted all of that out. But uh, I went out during the podcast. Um, I got a message just from uh, from the folks saying, Hi, we're all done. And plumber's gone. We're gone. So I popped in to just check it. And I, uh, uh, the dog, Pam, um, she was very interested. Obviously, new smells. There's this stranger who's been in the house. She got to say hello to him and lick his hand. But uh, that's not enough to make him trusted. That's just, you know what you taste like uh so I, so I was like okay you have a you know come in and have a look and she was very curious so i thought i would show her what's happened uh here she's walking in now she knows i'm talking about her she's taken jim's head that's a soft toy uh he's a he's a llama she pulls his head off so we get a new one every once in a while anyway um so she's a rescue dog uh originally from aruba and um, so she's got a number of triggers of various types because it seems she wasn't treated very well when she was young. Uh, I will tell the story one day of uh, how we found her or I should say how the rescue found her um, uh, before she got sent over to us. But anyway, um, I was like, look, look, Pam, see, they just uh, they just it's a new tap and I turned the tap on and that was the start of a series of disasters because it seems likely she was punished with water when she was younger because she's absolutely terrified of it which makes little sense as a dog who comes from an island in the tropics um, or near the tropics oh, yeah so um, she freaked out and uh, ran off and started just trashing the house in um, knocking things over, running around, thinking that I was going to punish her. She ended up curled up by the, the back door with her tail between her legs, like trying to appease me, saying, no, look, please, please, I'm uh, I'm, I'm not being bad. And so I had to explain to her that, uh, that no, she's not in trouble. I wasn't trying to scoosh her with water. Um, 
I just wanted to show her the tap. So we went back in and she inspected the tap and I didn't go anywhere near it and she had a sniff and it's all sorted now. But uh, I was absent for about, I think about five minutes of, of the podcast then because of, of that. And luckily I muted my microphone, otherwise you would have heard a lot of noise and nonsense. So I'm going to have to re-listen to catch uh, more stuff about It's a Wonderful World, but it does sound right up my alley. Yeah. What you looking at me for? Oh. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> she knows. She knows I'm talking about her. They, they always know. Yeah. So, after talking about uh, the experience of the dog, uh, maybe we come, can come to the next topic, which is about animals as well in a role play setting. Why not? We love animals. We do. Yeah, Everdell, <laughs> uh, Root, uh, Red Wall. Just, yes. yes, love it all. I asked a friend to to get me a root plushie. Oh, sorry, Margot. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. do do yes. We're all primed and ready for some animal adventures of the most cute and cuddly kind. So take so it. So it's now the, it's now the right time to mention that there's a new arachnid species found in Australia, which is named after Abaddon the Despoiler from from Warhammer 40k. That's the cute animal, I guess. <laughs> no. Well, that... After I tell you about this RPG, you might ask yourself what's the special power friendships are. Friendship are. If, yeah, if <laughs> for want... ponies. Friendship is for ponies. <laughs> if you want to very quickly be on the side of, of that kind of stuff, um, there is actually a wasp that basically its um, scientific name is you bastard, which I do like. <laughs> 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 But uh, come on, it's time. It's time we get on with this. Do take it away, David. So I'm going today. I'm going to talk uh, about a heartwarming role-playing game called Golden Sky, Sky Stories, which is like um, a rather unusual usual setting for I think for a role-playing game. It's uh, basically you play um, animal spirits or hangi in um, in yeah Japanese uh, suburban setting with like small city with like woods around it. And you play these animal spirits that want to help people or other animal spirits around. And it's a non-violent RPG, so there will be no fighting at all. It's uh, very, like, the illustration is very cute. And, um, like, all the animals have, like, special powers. Like, you have, like, your classical, uh, yeah, like, tanuki. But there are no tanuki. There are tanukis. Sorry? There are tanukis? Yeah, you can play tanukis. Oh, I, I, I checked the demo. There is just fox, cat, bird and something else, but not tanuki. I was so disappointed. What? Well, well, there is? It's uh, cool. In the demo, I'm guessing that they didn't put the full thing. Yeah, they, 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 they kept the big guns for of later. Of course. How else are you going to do a demo if you're going to give out people all the best bits? You know? You got to get them wanting the yeah. exciting stuff. So let's get on with this tanuki. So it's not the tanukis with the enormous testicles, right? It I mean, it's, it's a yeah, it's a raccoon dog. <laughs> it's a raccoon dog, which is like I think it's it's the tanuki. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a raccoon. Brilliant. Well, I, Thank you. We're about to talk about a heartwarming little piece about like animals helping each other, and you're right in there with the testicle talk. Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly. guessing that the superpower is not related to the testicle. <laughs> remember, remember that. 
testicles is okay, but this is the edge of what we can say. Someone, someone clip that. Someone clip that. I want uh, That's the soundbite there. <laughs> uh, what's the target age for this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I would say you can start start this role playing game with kids because it's like non-violent. It's more like narrative. There's it's not rules heavy. It's all about the relationship between the different like player characters and the NPCs. And like there's like no rolling involved. Like most of the time you have a certain like let's say you want to jump over a river, then you you may like uh, choose if you want to do it as a your abilities are basically like uh, four diff different ones it's uh basically uh like hanger let's which is like your spiritual power then it's animal which is like run feel and hide then you have adult it's like use machines like knowledge and hide your feelings and then you have child which is like play wheel and get protected so that that are your like four main attributes and you just compare your attribute if you want to do something and if the like the GM thinks you're, you're like this is, could be rather difficult. Then you have could uh, then then you have to see if you get with your attribute about the threshold. However, if you don't get about, uh, like above the threshold, you can use feelings. Feelings is something you can get uh, from the connections with other people or other hangar or whatever, and. Like your your main source of power are like the, the connections you have with the town, and the people and your friends around the town, which can be like different relationships, and it's like rather interesting because you try to influence other people, or like other hanger, other animal spirits, in a good way. So like uh, you you want to be like you want to help them, uh, just and then you get like resources of wonder and feelings. And dreams. This is like your main resources for the role-playing game. You, you know what this is starting to make me think of? Um, just to go on a really brief tangent. The John Oliver Show did a bit about a Japanese village that had a, a mascot who'd lost their um, uh, Chitan, their um, companion mascot. So he sent out Chijon, who's a cute little like otter mascot. And it's it was all really heartwarming and wonderful. But, uh... Uh, it's a thing that's very uh, popular in in Japanese culture, and that's that's the main <laughs> inspiration of the um, uh, the Golden City game, uh, which I think is a is a great inspiration to have that sort of wholesomeness, uh, plushy animal um, side to it. I think it's a great setting for uh, a role playing game, and whenever there's a new uh, role playing game that uh, offers some interesting and fun narrative and non-violent um type game i'm always clapping yeah like an author like it's no, like the illustration <laughs> like <laughs> the illustration everything is like super cute as well and like the like the special abilities of the different types of animals <laughs> like uh, just an example you, when you play a bird you can have like of course you can fly you can also help other people to fly but at the same time you might get a little uh, bird brain, which means like you can't keep up with a lot of information. You just cut out, you forget things, and which is like some small, cute weaknesses, which makes it rather fun to play the different characters. And personally, for me, it gives gives a lot of those Ghibli wipes. You know, like my neighbor Totoro 
It reminds me a lot of yep. those uh, kind of stories, and you can retell them with with those with those uh, with this RPG, which is like fantastic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to play it once with my my son once once he's uh, old enough to play RPGs. Yeah, that's actually cute, and uh, I I keep. Uh, the image of a Doraemon episode without uh, the gadgets uh, is continuously popping in my mind. I think that an, a, a session of this gameplay is like a Doraemon episode. A bit of kind of conflict, but people wanting to help. A bit of shenanigans occur, and then you end resolving everything. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can do this uh, like non-violent role play with like you can pl play tricks on like underhanger with if you play a mischievous fox or something, which is like uh, rather fun. And you can keep it, like really uh, like yeah lighthearted and positive, you know. Like sometimes I prefer like uh, rather dark settings like the Genesis, but on the other side. Uh, Those kinds kind of uh, role playing games that are super wholesome are also very welcome from my side. <laughs> yeah, it says a lot about your psychological health. The Genesis, then Golden Sky Stories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk about the serious stuff. Does the Tanuki do that shape shifting thing with the leaf and the rock? Um, I think so. You can like uh, do certain things, like you can do the tanuki dance, <laughs> oh. uh, which is like um, moving if... around your enormous testicles. Let's say, <laughs> let let's say like uh, the tanuki dance is like a certain power which lets you like you can start to dance, and then everybody, all people who are uh, less, uh, have less adult, which is like your, this attribute. Um, has to follow suit. Like they have to dance with you. They can, they can't stop dancing if, and start laughing and having fun. You know, <laughs> it's one yeah. of the special abilities of the Tanuki. That, that's actually a game uh, a, a few people can get around the table and have, uh, have honest fun playing it. Yeah, or like uh, I remember a scene, like uh, where when we played it like one of the players gave money to one of the non-player characters and when he returned home like he wanted to buy like ice and he gave him like i think like a, a lot of money for it like and the npc was like super surprised and when he get once he get got home um and uh, like uh, removed the money from his pockets and put it like uh, in front of his uh, his desk And uh, he was like, the NPC was really happy. And next morning, it all turned back into leaves <laughs> and archons and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is like... Uh, yeah, that's Tanuki stuff. Makes makes it makes up for some funny situations. The, the one thing that uh, really striked me when I first looked at the game was definitely the art style. Uh, RPG games are often have a really pretty uh, game book, but um, Golden Star, uh, Sky with its wholesome uh, art is just incredible. Uh, I think it's, it looks really, really, really nice. Yeah, it is because it takes like this... I mean, it looks a bit like chibi art style. A bit. Yes, I'm the master of Chibi and I say yes. 
<laughs> All right, that's good. Um, and another thing this uh, watch this RPG makes like really good. Uh, it has like those small gray boxes inside the uh, book, which explains like certain uh, Japanese cultural things, which is like something I really appreciated because it's not like only saying uh, that's the way it is, but it also explains it, which is something I really appreciate because it gives you uh, like more immersion. It all also tells you something about the uh, the country that you play in, which is like really well done. That's good. It it definitely uh, looks like a very fun game that uh, I would love to play with uh, some friends. Uh, and I think that's all the time that we have for this episode. You can catch us at patreon.com slash thelaststandy or thelaststandy on Twitter. And so until next time. So goodbye from uh, me, uh, Alessio. Bye. Audrey. Bye-bye. David. Bye. And Fen. Goodbye. And remember that the second E in standee is for experience. Mm-hmm.